Over here, we've got two people who are the complete opposite. Over here, what we have are these two uh, who would be named uh, Caesar Augustus and King Herod the Great. Two people of great power, great wealth, great influence and authority. Caesar Augustus uh, was the first and the greatest emperor in the Roman world, and he ruled at a time, uh, the time that Jesus was born. And it was his census that brought Joseph to Bethlehem. Augustus was named, uh, given his name, Princess, which is where we get the word Prince from. That means first. He was the first in the land. Nobody was greater than, than Augustus. He was the greatest of them all. As a matter of fact, he was so great that they even named a month after him. Our month of August was named after Augustus. He was somebody that lived for glory, for the praise of the people. He was the benefactor of the people that referred to him as their savior. So what would it be that Augustus would be a savior? Is there anything in the world that somebody that is as great as Augustus could possibly say? Well, I think his last words, last words that he spoke, with his last dying breath on his deathbed to his friend, are revealing about what Augustus did. What he said was this. He said, have I played the part well? Then applaud me as I exit. He was using language from the theater of his day, and the theater was great. It was important. But for him, he lived for the applause of others, the praise of others. He was, in other words, a slave to the opinion of other people. He feared what they might think of him. And then he prayed the great. He was called great uh, for several reasons, but one of those reasons was this, because he was a great builder. He built many wonders, wonderful things. He even built a whole city that became the capital of this Roman province, and it was a place for you that might know this name, from which Pontius Pilate operated. It was his home base, the city that he built. But the greatest thing, the greatest achievement of King Herod the Great's life and his building career was the temple in Jerusalem. It was considered to be one of the great wonders of the ancient world. And with this temple in Jerusalem, this is the very same temple where Jesus, as we would see later on in his life, went and he overturned the tables of the money changers. That temple is the temple that Herod the Great built. It was said that if um, you were a traveler in the world and, and you like to uh, take pride in all of your travels, it was said that you have not truly seen the world until you've seen the temple in Jerusalem. And Herod the Great built that. But there's also a dark side to Herod, a very dark side to him. Herod was paranoid. He was some might say, a homicidal maniac. Herod killed his own wife. He killed family members. He killed so many people, they lost count how many people that Herod killed. Why? Because of fear. Why would somebody this great have, have, have this much power? What would he have to fear? The Herod loved control. And all around him, what he saw were people that threatened that control, including when the wise men came to Jerusalem to Herod's palace and asked for the last thing. And he came up with a plan to kill Jesus, to kill the baby. 
Like Caesar Herod had many slaves, but he himself was also a slave. He was a slave to fear. So on the one hand, we have these two men over here who have all kinds of power, all kinds of authority, all kinds of money, and yet they have fear. And on the other hand, over here, we have the polar opposite. We have people who have almost nothing. Joseph, and the second. Joseph was a carpenter. He uh, was somebody who, a little while ago, you know, would have been somebody that, uh, you know, prior, prior to that morning of what took place, he was somebody that probably we never would have ever known his name until this event happened. Joseph, as we saw in that video a little while ago, was somebody who, when he learned what was coming up, had some fears. And I can understand that fear. Chief among them might have been the fear of failure. He was given a tremendous responsibility. He was not afraid. He wanted to provide for his own family, but he couldn't even find a room. He wanted to be the father, but he was human. And he knew that he was going to make some mistakes. Does this resonate with anybody? I'm wondering where this stuff is. These were guys who had pretty much nothing in this world. They were considered to be the bottom rung of society. They were pretty much anti-social. They lived out there on the hillside, and they stunk. They smelled like sheep. People didn't want to be around them. They had little money and no power. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, powerful or powerless. Fear is the great motivator that lies in this world. So it was to these shepherds that God sent the message that would be a message of peace. A message to bring peace. And we can learn from this message. I think a lot about how to have peace ourselves in here to deal with those fears. It says this in Luke 2. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. They feared. Maybe it was fear, maybe it was fear for their lives, but they feared. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Why not? There's a terrifying event. What could possibly get rid of this fear? Let alone all the other ones I've got. And the angel said, I bring you good news. A great joy that will be for all the people. Not just for the shepherds, this is for all the people, which means you. This is good news for you. Today, he said, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. The promised Messiah, Christ the Lord. So the Savior, remember, remember what Augustus was called? He was called the Savior. But now the Savior is not Augustus. The answer to this fear is not found in the power of this world. Instead, it's found in this baby in Bethlehem. You know, one thing, these the words that we read at Christmas time, uh, you know, I think a nice story, you know, we lose, I think in translation, we lose what was really the offense of this story. I mean, Luke, when he wrote these words down, what he was planning was possibly his own jail, if not his own death sentence. 
Peter, who is considered to be treason, to say that this is the one who deserves the world. Look at the one who is the Savior. And I And the other thing is that, you know, I said the two are great motivators, but this is the thing that there are two great motivators for people. That's the thing. Two of the powerful motivators get people to do all kinds of weird things. But there's one that's even more powerful. And that motivator is love. Love is something that can get a mother to put herself into harm's way to protect her child. How does somebody do that? If you're not controlled by fear, but you're controlled by love, they would do that. Love is a great motivator. One, the one can drive out the other. When a person fears, they often do not act very loving. And when a person loves, they often do not act very truthful. But to get at those deep down, base level fears, takes a special kind of a particular, great kind of First John 4 says this perfect love drives out fear. You know, we've loved in the past. There's been some bumps in the road, haven't there? It's not really been perfect. But here's just what we're talking about here's an exceptional kind of love, a perfect Kind of love. And Jesus said that there's only one who is perfect, and that is God alone, which means that the only place where this love can truly originate from is in God Himself. And in this Christmas story, I think there's a key to discovering this kind of love. When my wife and I went to Israel this last spring, I discovered something about this story that I never knew before. And it was revealing, it was, it was like unlocking something. We go back here to Luke chapter 2, verse 12. And so this. Jesus said, And this will be a sign to you, speaking to the shepherds. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And whenever I read this verse, I think, A sign? This is the sign? How is this a sign? I'm missing the sign. I don't, I don't get the sign. What's the sign? But the shepherds got the I just thought that when he was talking about the swaddling cloths, what he was talking about was that in those days they would wrap up their babies in these cloths. You know, and some people would read it as clothes, but it actually said cloths as a plural of cloths. But that's not what happened. That's not what they were referring to. And the reason why the, the angel came to the shepherds was for this message. You see, I learned in Bethlehem where. We were, we were visiting Bethlehem, and uh, today, if you go to Bethlehem, you're going to find that there's still shepherds that are coming to on hillsides outside of Bethlehem. You know, a lot of other things are strange, but that's really heavy. And we found out that in Bethlehem, that uh, when a new lamb is born, the shepherd, when raising sheep that will be used in the temple to sacrifice, like in Jesus' day, what they would do is they would take that new lamb and they would wrap the lamb in cloth. They swaddle in cloth, but they would wrap around the lamb. And they would do this to protect the lamb because when it comes to the chance of sacrifice, the lamb must be a perfect lamb, one without blemish, 
one that has never been injured, one that has never had any broken bones. So Jesus, in other words, this is the sign that the angel gave to the shepherds was, you go to town and you're going to find a baby wrapped up like a lamb. Because God had this in mind from the beginning. That Jesus was going to come into this world to be that perfect sacrifice for you. In Isaiah 53, it talks about it this way. Hundreds of years before Jesus ever was born in Bethlehem. Talk about what Jesus' purpose was, why he would be wrapped in such a way, why the angels would give this as a sign to the shepherds. It says, but he, didn't have a name for him yet, but he was pierced as Jesus was on the cross for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace. This is true. And by his means, we are healed. Perfect love. Isn't it strange that the ones that are in here for you, the ones that are behind those tears, get healed up? He didn't want to, to get healed again. Didn't he, Jesus? You can say, I'm afraid. Here's the number one thing, actually, that keeps people from Jesus, too. I'm afraid. What if Jesus fails me? And Jesus didn't come into the, into the world to fail you. He came into the world to love you. Perfect. And perfect love. God has fear. Your fear. The fear that robs you of your peace. All you need to do is to let go. Because finally, once and for all, let go. And give it to Him, Father. Give Him your life, your future, your wounds, your hurts, your hurts, your fears. You know, the way before Jesus was born, people didn't know what was coming. It's really weird. But in the morning, in the morning, when Jesus was born, everything was different. Nothing was the same as that. Hope comes in the morning. You don't have to be ruled by fear anymore. You're set free by letting go and opening your heart up to Jesus, who loves you perfectly. Can you stand with me as we pray about that?